Genesis chapter 2 is a second creation narrative, one that for some makes interpretation complicated when comparing it to chapter 1. For Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle, however, this simply makes things more interesting. In this episode, they discuss the nature of this text, the garden, and the intricate descriptions of humanity. Inclinations, Shabbat cereal, and no belly buttons. This week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. Hello, welcome to A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. I'm Rabbi Ari. And I'm Pastor Danielle. And we're going to be doing the second story in Genesis, which begins in Genesis 2. Verse 4, that is the right. first story as the creation of seven days, and that doesn't finish till the seven days. This shows you a little bit about the mismatch of chapters and stories in the Bible. But in any case, we're going to start with verse 4, and I want to read it in Hebrew and talk about the two words for creation, because chapter 1 was all about bara, yeah. which means to create out of nothing. And this is yatsar in this chapter, which means to shape something out of something that already exists. Hmm. So, and these are the generations or the outcomes or the descendants of the heaven and earth. There's when they were created out of nothing. The interesting thing about this is that in Hebrew, the little h, is one of the words for God. Just an H because yod heh vav or some people say Yahweh, is a word which has two H's in it. Right. And so B can mean either in or when, and when it was created or with hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so B-he God created them with a hey mm-hmm. when they were created with by means of God. Hmm. So these are either when they were created or when created by means of God. But in any case, this is the creation story, the wet creation story, uh, the dry creation story. Last week was the wet creation story, God controlling the waters. And this week it says, and there was no plant growing and nobody to work Hmm. the world and everything was dry because God had not yet caused it to rain. Hmm. So there are two stories and some people say, oh, one was from a wet place and one was from a dry place. And Hmm. that may well be. Interesting. And could you also just explain for our listeners, maybe it's their first time hearing some of these Hebrew words, um, the word for heavens or sky is shamaim. And how would you break down that word? Okay. So the the funny thing is that uh, the first time I really, I knew all along that sky and heaven were the same word. Mm-hmm. Heaven is a kind of a metaphysical word. Right. And sky is just what's above you in blue. Right. And uh, I had an Israeli in uh, one of our classes, one of our bar mitzvah family classes, and I had him read a little uh, text and translate it as he went, and he translated the word shemayim as sky. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and it just blew my mind to hear it in a naturalistic way. But the word shamayim, Sounds like there, sham, mayim, water. Right. There's water up there. That's why it's blue. <laughs> right, right. So the word for water is mayim. Mayim. And the word for there is sham. Sham. Sham, mayim. There's water up there. There's water up there. So even in our first creation account that we talked about last week, that that idea of like God separating the waters, right? So there's waters here, and then there's waters there. Right. And there's and that and I think it's just helpful that when when we talk about the heavens or the heavenly, even when we're doing this in in the Greek New Testament, um, for us, like when it can be a poetic use of like I glanced up into the heavens, right? And people can know that that meant you were looking at the stars at night, and it was a 
it was maybe a special moment. It's not something you would use in daily language, but no. but it's actually the same word. And if you're talking about space, mm-hmm. just outer space, right. that's another word in Hebrew altogether, halal, which means emptiness. Hmm. So shamayim is the blueness of the sky and the heavens. Mm-hmm. And, and unlike when we talk about the stars in the heavens, they wouldn't say that. You would, the stars right. in the sky. Right. But they just saw they didn't see a, a darkness beyond there that it was empty. In fact, there's a really fun diagram that you can find online under just a quick Google search of like ancient Near Eastern view of the world or um, ancient Near Eastern Israelite view of the world. And it's a cross section schematic of sort of this idea of how the rakia, right, the um, firmament. the firmament of the world looks and how they sort of view these windows into the heavens above and, and all that. And it's it's helpful for me to think about how the ancients were considering the separation of the waters. So for those interested, it's kind of a fun search. And um, of course, you can always just email us if you can't find it, and I'll be happy to pass it along. Um, in this chapter, in this story, it says, And and that's verse 5. When uh, Before there was any uh, herbage, before there were any plants on the earth. And this says, I am Adam, I am Avodata Adaman. There was no man to to work the world. No person, he, no human. No person. Uh, and so no human being, no earthling, actually. Mm-hmm. There are two words, by the way. Aretz, which is land. Right. And Adama, which is earth or dirt. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we're going to deal with Adama in this singing section. But before there was any Ad, 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 Adam, before there was any human to work the humus, um, but it did not have to be that way. It could be that the human was not working the humus. Interesting. That is, the human mm. could have existed and simply not been working Adam. I in love, oh, he didn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I think that's actually a more meaningful thing, as we'll see next week when we talk about the Garden of Eden and what the Adam is predicted to have to do right. to continue on living. Right. Interesting. So, uh, but here we go. And this is, we talked about the aid, the vapor, which is the water coming up from the Adama. So Aid is the first two letters of Adama, which is earth and humus. And they create the Adam, which is the human. Then the Adam is full of liquid and that water is called Dam, which is blood. So Aid, Adama, Adam, and Dam. Water, earth, human, and blood are all connected in this punny little creation story. Well, and, and I think that's an important note, right? That there's some poetry here. That there's um, a rhythm to it. We talked about this again in, in the earlier weeks of this conversation about Genesis, but even the first uh, opening sentence into our creation story being seven words and this picture of sort of completion or perfection and creation, that when we start to talk about this story, we're not necessarily looking to it um, in, in particular this creation narrative here that we find in chapter two. We're not looking into it for here's scientifically how all of this happened, but to hear the connections that the author is making and how they're describing and understanding their world around them and their own origin story of how it's all connected. Yep. And like I said, this is a dry story. And so the only amount of water is this little bit of water vapor seeping up from the mm, earth, mm-hmm. uh, world. And unlike the last chapter, which is flooded water, and you got to separate the waters from above and the waters below, water everywhere. You can't do anything because too much water. Here's not enough. And so you have a little bit of water coming into the world. And what it says in verse 7, Vayitzar Hashem, and God created, formed Elohim. Oh, by the way, 
In the first chapter, it was just Elohim, God. In this chapter, it's Adon- Elohim Adonai, God. Hmm. Adonai Elohim, Adonai, the, the Lord, as it would be all translated, or right. just God's name, uh, existence, being, uh, it enters into it. And the rabbis say, why was the first chapter only Elohim and the second chapter Adonai Elohim? Which, and when we talk about Adonai, we're using... Uh, a euphemism, essentially, for the name for the holy name of God, Yod Hey Vav Hey. That's correct, which means to cause to be. It's a verb. Um, and the rabbis say, well, Elohim is another word as we find in Exodus twenty-one. Mm-hmm. You'll find that the word Elohim is used for judges, hmm. and therefore Elohim must be the divine aspect of justice. Hmm. And they say, but the world can't exist only with justice. So that Adonai comes into the world, that is Yudhevavhei, and therefore that must be, because of the process of elimination, the attribute <laughs> of mercy. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Logic. But anyway, so this chapter has two names for God in it. And and God, Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmat Chayim, and God blew into his nose, that is the human being, the breath of life, Vayhi Ha'adam, and the earthling became a nefesh chaya, a soul of life, or a living soul, and the word chaya, which is like a, a word for an animal. Hmm. And mm-hmm. every animal is called a chaya. In this case, it's a, a living animal. A living animal. And the word nefesh can also have the connotation of soul. Soul. There are right. three words for soul. And this one is connected to the word for sigh, S-I-G-H. <sighs> it hmm. says a God sighed at hmm. the end by Yinefash, at the end of the creation. Interesting. In That's days. really beautiful. Yeah. And then the word for haya, for those of us, again, who are just brushing up on Hebrew, learning it a little <laughs> bit for the first time, maybe you've seen some different um, Jewish stories or plays or whatever, and you'll see people toast and say lachaim, right. right, to life. So it has that connotation of life in it. Chayim, Chay. yeah. And, and uh, in this case, at the beginning is the formation of the human being. And it says vayitzer. Now, yetzer is to form something, shape something. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's spelled with an extra Y, Vayitzer. And the rabbis say, why is there an extra Y? Why the Y? Why the, why the and in Hebrew, it's not a Y, but a, a, yud. a yud. Yeah, but why the Y? Why the Y? Why the why extra two? Y? Why two Y? And, um, <laughs> and, and they say because the word yetzer means, can also mean a the, the thing, the urge within us that forms us, that shapes mm. us. And there are two of them. And they say it's the Yetzer HaTov, the good one, and the Yetzer HaRa, the bad one. I don't say evil because I don't mean evil when in a metaphysical way. It's just good and bad. But in this case, what is the bad Yetzer? And the rabbis say, if it weren't for the bad Yetzer, then nobody would have children. Uh, nobody would get a job. No inclination Nobody to would do... go inside out of the rain. Interesting. It's the animal urge. Hmm. And therefore, the other side, they can say, what's the good yeser? And that's the angelic urge. Because hmm. angels are not alive either. Hmm. So an angel, they're not human. Right. An angel only has a superego, and an animal only has an id Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the Freudian interpretation, I once read the Freudian commentary. Anyway, so this is interesting, of course, because Christians have very much uh, an important part of our theology is that part of being made human and being made in the image of God is that we are made with free will, and so we have the capacity to do good or to do evil. And we have the free will choice of all of those things because God's not making a group of robots, right? It's not a whole bunch of people that are just um, intended to take this order. We have to have the capacity um, to make these choices ourselves. So in 
in Judaism, this is called the Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Hara, right? This evil, in, evil inclination, good inclination, evil inclination. Bad. And um, <laughs> bad, right? Bad inclination. When I hear absolutely. evil, I hear Charlton Heston no, and Ten Commandments going correct. three syllables, evil. Evil, right? <laughs> but this, this good and bad inclination. And what I like is that later on when we get to the commandment, um, the Shema, right? Love God with all. That the rabbis talk about that means all of all both right. of your inclinations are to be used um, to love God and to love others. And they get that because it says love God with all your heart. Mm-hmm. And the word for heart is a lev, one of my names, lev. Which, uh, but also it's because Slavic for lion and Ari is lion. So mm-hmm. Ari lev is a common name. Uh, the Yiddish lev is lion. And in this case, it says behold levavacha. Mm-hmm. With your whole heart, but the word for heart is not lev, but levav. It's a poetic lengthening right. of the word lev, and so they say, "Why are the two v's in it?" Right? right. Two vavs. Because we have to always vets, ask if me. there's two that show up. There's Why two. the two? And they say because the two y's in the formation right. of the human, right. and therefore each one represents one of the inclinations. And so you love God with your animal self mm-hmm. as well as with your angelic self. I don't like to think of it as good and bad. Animals. Mm-hmm. don't have an understanding of eternity mm-hmm. and angels can't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and the, for me, that concept has been such a great um, devotional concept as I think about living my life. And I, I have a teacher that one time in Israel made us pick up um, a light colored small stone or pebble and a dark colored small stone and t- pebble and carry them in our pocket that day to remind ourselves every time we put our hands in our pocket that we're to love God with both. So even if you had an inclination to be stubborn, which I have that inclination, um, then the idea is that even that can be used not to be seen as like, well, you know, this is just my, for Christians, this is just my sin nature and I have to fight against it or I have to bind it and try to cast it out, rebuke it. Like this is my bad inclination, right? Or in medieval times when they used to flagellate themselves in order to mortify the flesh. Right. But instead I can say, ah, God made me. I have been made with all of these parts, like the inclination for good and for bad. So yes, there might be some downsides to the stubborn nature, but there's also upsides. Right. Uh, Maybe I'm not as easily persuaded to do something that wouldn't be a good idea. And I like this idea, particularly as a parent. You can often look at your child and say, (laughs) 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 which right now my daughter has only been in Hebrew school for three days. And the number of Oiva voice that I hear, she's with Israelis all day, all the rest of the day now at my house. This is her now favorite expression. So I can look at her and say, Oiva voice, right? This is an inclination that is a little bit challenging or troublesome. But as a parent, my job is to say, okay, this is how you're made. How do we turn this to this inclination also to be something that can be used for good in this world. What I tried to tell my congregation over and over again is that one of the ways that we taught Shabbat to our kids was to let them have sugar cereal on Shabbat. Nice. And we called it Shabbat cereal. Shabbat. So otherwise they would have, you know, Cheerios or something, but uh, right. uh, which had no sugar. But on Shabbat they could have Frosted Flakes or whatever they wanted to have. And we just, we Pavloved them into loving Shabbat <laughs> by having good food. And that wouldn't work with an angel. Angels right. don't eat. That's beautiful. Animals eat. And so animals eat and they enjoy good food and on better food on holy days. And if you think about a festival meal or a right. Christmas dinner or an Easter right. dinner or a 
Passover Seder. We bring celebration with food, so we make our animals happy, and then we praise God, which our angels are doing. And yes. that's yeah. and, and you bring them together, and that's how you live a whole life as a human being in this world of uh, physicality and earth. I love that. And for me, again, this is so so freeing to feel like that part can be welcomed in rather than needing to to beat it down or beat it away. But I can just welcome it and say, okay, all of me is welcome here in this place. God loves all of me. God, for our narrative here, right? God created all of us, all of our humanity, and that is welcome here, right? It's not made with the intention of being bad. God says it's good. You know, part of us is a brain and part of us is an ass. <laughs> and so if you want to know where the stubbornness comes from, it's because we were created that way. <laughs> right. right. Yes. It's true. All of that. And yet this really beautiful thing that you've just talked about, like God breathing into us and thinking about carrying around the breath of the divine in this world and then becoming this nefesh chaya. Uh, what do we do with that? And how does this work forward? And what are our responsibilities? And that takes us into our next verses. That's right. And also that when I said that nefesh is a word that's related to the word sigh, I don't think animals sigh. Mm-hmm. Not with the same kind of thing. They may they may huff and puff, but they don't right. sigh. Sigh is, a, is an intent. It's mm-hmm. either I'm done with this or oh no, or whatever it is. Or it can be a, a posture of contentedness. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so when you say it's a nefesh, mm-hmm. sighing, chaya animal, mm-hmm. either a living soul right. or a sighing animal. Mm-hmm. I like both of those meanings because that's what we can be. That's very fun. Anyway, uh, God created a Garden of Eden. And the fun thing is that your daughter is now in Gan, which is kindergarten. And, right. And so <laughs> God, the word Gan and kindergarten is a garden of children in, right. in, in German and Yiddish. And so uh, God made a Gan and put the human there right. because this is the infancy of the humans. One of the things, things people it. ask is, did God create the human mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as an adult? Mm-hmm. Or as a kid. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it was as a child. Interesting. Um, one of the funny things is um, there's a story that when Abraham was, uh, Avram, Abraham was looking uh, around for a place to bury Sarah, he stumbled into a cave, Machpelah, and he noticed that there was a pair of people buried there. Mm-hmm. And he knew that they were Adam and Eve. And the question is, how would he know before pictures and Facebook right. that they were Adam and Eve? Interesting. And the answer is, no belly buttons. <laughs> <laughs> so not only was Adam and Eve, but they also were mummified. Like, how did we feel? Their, their flesh had not been And why was Abraham picking up the shrouds or whatever it was that they were buried in? <laughs> not, not, none of this is who kosher. Who is this anyway? So he picked it up. Oh, yes. Oh, no belly buttons. There they I are, know. Adam it must Eve. have been hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have a question. When it says that yep. God made, is it God made or God planted? Planted. Planted the garden, which I think is going to come nicely into the the next portion of what God has Adam do. Well, it's kind of also interesting that everything here, the animals and the people, come out of the earth, Mm -hmm. as well as the plants. Mm -hmm. So that we're all sprouting. Earthlings. Yeah, we're all earthlings (laughs) sprouting from the earth. Right. Which is actually kind of an interesting A place of life. Yep. So God says it's not good for the human to be alone. 
Not good for the human to be alone by itself. And so God brings by a whole, makes first God, so um, in verse 19, God created, God shaped from the ground. It has made little, right. little, little statues out of dirt. <laughs> all the animals and all the birds uh, and brought them by the Adam, the human, to see the earth, like to see what he would call them. Yes. And this one of my favorite phrases is um Lirotma Yikralo, Vacholasher Yikralo, Adam Nefesh Haya, Hushmo. And everything that the Adam, the earthling, the living soul called them, that was its name. And so yeah. now I'm gonna say the radical thing that's gonna bug every single biblical hyper literalist, which is that I do not believe in one creation of human beings, I believe in three. Hmm. Now, it's not because I'm trying to do some Trinitarian phenomenon, but in, Gen- <laughs> in Genesis 1, I see... I knew it. <laughs> yeah, it's genus homo. That as the Adam that was there was no different than Australopithecus or whatever it was. It was all the primordial mm-hmm. genus homo, hmm. the, or the really, really primitive human beings. In this chapter, it's homo sapiens, that is knowledgeable homo, knowledgeable Adam, because the Adam begins to call them by name, right. comes up with language. Mm-hmm. And the primordial history won't be finished until the end, until Je- chapters 11 in Genesis with the Tower of Babel when multiplicity of languages right. is created. Right. But in this case, it's one human being, one language. Hmm. This is Homo sapiens. And hmm. finally, with Noah, from whom all human beings are descended, or Lucy, from right. whom all people are descended, whatever, the Lucy, the, uh, the uh, primitive human found in Africa, the name Lucy, uh, that's Homo sapiens sapiens, anatomically modern human beings, which happens after the flood, hmm. which have, which is the... Interesting. Yeah. Which is the tropical uh, concomitant of the Ice Age. So it was hmm. raining where it was warm, and it was icing where it was cold, and after that was all over, we have anatomically modern humans taking over. So Homo, Homo sapiens, Homo sapiens sapiens. And, and what I find... Um, what I love about what you're doing with that, with the text, is that you're not seeing a conflict between this ancient Near Eastern creation discussion and narrative and telling uh, with our modern understanding and scientific advances, right? You're finding ways in which to to hear the hints and to see that come together without forcing either to become somehow a religious uh, like the scientific discovery does not have to also become a religious discovery and the religious text does not need to become a science text. You're just finding these things that you've observed in the world um, through your study of Torah, as well as your study of of all the things that you also are interested in. Um, you're finding ways to negotiate that, to think through those things. And I think um, historically in both of our faiths, that has often posed a challenge. Um, is it okay to be a person of science and also be a person of faith? And in both of our faith traditions, people will say yes or no or pick only one, right? No, they cannot be married, so I'm going to pick only one. But I, but something is quite beautiful to say that you don't have to divorce your head from your heart, right, in, in these scenarios, that, that there's a way to find um, – there's a way to have a discussion about the text and about science that that allows them to still be themselves um, and still try to see if there's any similarities or voices in that. What I love about this passage that we've just sort of gone through at, at this middle point of chapter four is that God first plants the garden. And then after that, God has Adam 
also tend the garden. So for me, when I look back at this passage early on, not only the concept of of language starting to come into play, which is a really powerful ancient Near Eastern concept of naming. For example, I can't walk in to your home and decide that I'm going to rename even one of your animals, right? That, that They are not going to answer to that name. I'm not going to be able to call your dog a different name just because I've decided it. You had authority to name your dog, and you did. And so God gives Adam that same authority, but it's not... It, so there's a power of naming that we see in the ancient Near East, but God also gives Adam, gives humanity... A responsibility. And as God has modeled, or almost, for me, I see a rabbinic disciple model here, right? Like as God first tends the garden, plants the garden, then God says, okay, now I've done this. Now you do it too. And it goes back a little bit to that idea we talked about last Imitatio week. Imitatio Dei, imitating God. Imitating God. And, and also to be made in God's image, in the shadow of God. That, that means that we are also to be about... Um, as Jesus says when he's um, lost for a few days over Pesach when he's 12 years old um, and over Passover and his parents are looking for him. Why did you do this to my son? They find him three days later. He's still back at the temple. And he says, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? He, he's, of course, going to be about his father's business. And I, I like that idea of continuing to have this picture of... He did go into the family business. He went into the family business, yeah. <laughs> Oi, my son is <laughs> <He's> also rabbi. <laughs> um, so I like that idea of of seeing here that we are entrusted with creation, um, that we are distinct from it, but connected to it, as you pointed out with all of the Adama and Adam and all of that um, discussion and, and the Nefesh Chaya and just the Chaya. I love this picture that as God gives us what we need, he plants the trees and he puts a river to water it all. He also gives the land what the land needs, which is good caretaking. And if we ask ourselves, what does this ancient creation text tell us about who God is or who we are to be in this world, then there's much about creation care, about caring for the earth, about um, taking very seriously our responsibility to be um, to be caretakers, to be gardeners ourselves. Um, it's it's deeply moving for me. And, and lastly, just as a Christian, we get to this point where. Um, it's, it's always fascinating for me when we, I teach a class called Garden to Garden, which goes from Genesis through Revelation. And the reason why I called it that is because there's the garden at the beginning. And then the revelator of John, the revelator talks about the garden at the end, which is also the Garden of Eden. And he pulls all this imagery from Genesis 1 and 2 right into the end of Revelation. But there's all these gardens in between. So I really should have called the class Garden to Garden to Garden to Garden to Garden, garden <laughs> right? And whether the land better is... Better homes and gardens. Right, better homes and gardens, exactly. The land of Israel That's is right. their home and it becomes a garden, right? And it's a picture of Garden of Eden. And for Christians, um, at the end of the, the resurrection story, uh, the women go and, and Mary goes and, and they're looking for Jesus at the tomb and they don't find him. But then um, Mary Magdalene, she sees a man... And thinking he's the gardener, it says in the book of John, she says, where have you laid him? And then Jesus says, Mary, Miriam. And she responds, Rabuni, my rabbi. But it's not until a moment, but I love for just in terms of this beautiful narrative and picture and these images that are being pulled through, thinking he's the gardener. For me, so, so for this Genesis narrative, I just love that additional picture of how we tend and take care of the garden. 
I want to go back to the science thing because yeah. this is something that really bothers me a lot. I mean, you talked about how we can put it together, mm-hmm. and that's fine. It's all poetry to me. Right. That, that is, this stuff right. here is is how, chapter one is what is the order of the universe? It's in seven stages, and things that were created number day number one are right. populated in day number four, and the same thing it goes like that. Uh, this one's all about growing up and being you know formed. First right. one's being created. Right. This one's being formed and shaped, and and, and also filled, and also filled. And so yeah. there, there's that. But people have a problem with science. Mm-hmm. Forget about the word science. Right. I don't like to use well, you know, that kind of a word because it scares people. If you think about detectives, all mm. science is a detective work. Mm. And if you have a situation where you have a crime and somebody's committed a crime against you and your family, you want that detective to figure out with every means available who did it, why, and what we can do to get them right. not to do it anymore, etc. Detectives are not forbidden by anybody's literalism. Right, right. it's very right? nice. And that's all it is. If you're thinking that God created the world in certain ways to hide things, or if you believe this and you're following the word of Satan mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. and Satan hid that as a joke for you, right. and a trap for you, that's just right. silly. Right. Um, and let me just show yes. you a couple places where mm-hmm. that comes into being. First of all, the seven days of creation. In verse 17 here it says, And from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, Mm-hmm. And I can tell you more about that next week. A good and bad, don't eat. Because on the day you eat of it, you'll die. Well, right. we know they don't drop dead after they eat right. it. Right. So what does a day mean? Mm-hmm. I love this insight. And yeah. There is a destruction of the concept of seven 24-hour days. If you didn't need the fourth day, we're in the lamps in heaven of the stars and sun of the sky or created before that. There were no 24-hour days. But in any case, here's one of them. And the second thing is, the last verse of this chapter, chapter 20, uh, verse 25, and the first verse of chapter 3, verse 1, use the same word. And the two of them were arumim. Hmm. What does arum mean? Arum means either naked or clever. Hmm. And it says, and, and the next one, the nachash in verse 2, the, the serpent, haya arumikol hayatasadeh. And the serpent was cleverer. And nakeder right. than any other animal. Right. How was it nakeder? Because it sheds its skin. Mm-hmm. And it was clever because it tricks the human beings about eating the stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean when it says the two of them in the last verse, 25, were arumim ha'adam ve'ishto, the man and the woman, velo boshashu. They were nakeder and they were clever. Hmm. And they weren't embarrassed by it. Right. That is... They were mentally aware, and they weren't embarrassed to be mentally aware. They looked at the world, they saw it, they gave names to it, they figured it out, and they were also sexually aware. Mm -hmm. Well, they will become sexually aware. Mm -hmm. They didn't mind that. Mm -hmm. They were physically unashamed, and they were mentally unashamed, and neither one was a problem. Right, and... So the knowledge is not something... Knowledge is not a problem. Right. I I like this very much, and I think that... um, it's it's very common for all of humanity in various uh, disciplines or aspects to try to to manage things with fear, right? And there is something that is can be comforting you that we can often think that our security or our certainties about our text or our faith can somehow allay those fears. Well, I know this is true, so I don't have to be afraid of this other thing, or I am afraid of this thing, so I have to build up the certainty around it in order to manage that fear. Once we can lay those things aside. And we can say, listen, is there something to learn here? Is there something to to understand? Either through a dialogue with somebody from a different faith practice, which is what our podcast is about, um, to try to understand and to listen. That so much of this is about setting aside very consciously 
the need to, um, the, in, the tendency to be afraid. And instead, open yourself up to something that God, God might have more to show you than you've known before. And that is, it can be uh, a, an unstable feeling if you feel like you're moving, you're, like the ground beneath you is shifting a little bit, your, your knowledge base. But it's also very helpful if you're moving from something that's been actually shaky ground to something more solid. But the move in itself can be a little bit frightening. And to be able to say that in our story here, there is permission to ask questions and to be detectives and to um, recognize with humility, right, that we're not going to know all of these things, but it is okay to ask and it is okay to explore. All of that's a lot of fun. And definitely the the ancient rabbis and in the rabbinic tradition of the Second Temple period and the one that sort of lays the foundation for Christians understanding how Jesus is going to function and the disciples, they were detectives of the text. That's why they're sitting there and asking all of these questions. Why two yuds? Why here? Why there? How come this? How come that? And there was no fear in asking those questions. As a matter of fact, that's why God gave the human being, the earthling, the permission and the job, the right. mission to name all these things. Right. What's that? Uh, platypus. Uh, what's that? Aardvark. <laughs> right. What's that? Uh, oh, that's a clam. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a job of knowledge. Yes. And yeah. that's, it's not detective work that because why? Because the human being is still a child. Mm. What does that look like to you? Well, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it looks like to me. <laughs> I, I, it, it's very funny. I, I wonder sometimes what our ancestors who lived in caves in the Stone Age, mm. what kind of language they had, mm. what the words were. And so there's actually a, a song, Hebrew is based on three consonant roots. Mm -hmm. That is, there are three consonants. Mostly, but there's some people who believe that the third consonant is just an inflection of a two consonant root. Mm. So the word gub, mm -hmm. what's gub? You know, it sounds like something that some a cave dweller would say. Well, a gub is the word gav now, and mm -hmm. that means a back or a mound, and a give mm -hmm. ah, mm -hmm. that's a hill, right. a mountain, right? A gib. Bor is a big person, a hero. So mm -hmm. all these things, like gibble is another word for a mountain. When Arabic, it's jibble. And, and so, gib, gab, all this gaboa <laughs> means high up. So all these different words sound like they came from uh, a huh. time when we didn't have longer words. We had very short words, words like that. Huh. <laughs> Fascinating. So fun. Well, it would have been fun to be there and to hear the, the humans start to name these things. And, and again, not just in naming them, but in recognizing through the naming process an authority and a responsibility right, for, for that. And I think um, that's going to lead us well into what we're going to discuss next week, which is where is there good news here for people in both, for women and men in both of our faiths to understand then the creation narrative of women that, of a woman that's coming up next and is that somebody that only the man has somehow authority over as well and is there hierarchy built into our creation narrative and into our faith how does all of this function into our society and land today and and is a woe man whoa. the author of woe <laughs> right <laughs> or something else or woohoo <laughs> together so uh, join us next week as we dive into our understanding of the creation and purpose of, of women. Okay. Okay.